Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. We're going to be in the book of Luke tonight. And so if you have uh, your copy of God's Word, if you would take that and turn with me to Luke chapter number 9. Luke chapter number 9. And we're going to talk tonight about what it means to be a follower of Christ and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And we'll dig into this passage a little bit, but hopefully you've had a chance to find your spot there. Luke chapter number 9, and I'll begin reading here in verse number 57. It said, And it came to pass, as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but first, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at my home, at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. I remember a few years ago, my wife and I had planned a trip with uh, our daughters at the time. We have three daughters now. At the time, we had two daughters, and they're with us here tonight. There's Leighton and Blair. Girls, would you raise your hand? So Leighton and Blair, they were, uh, at the time, they were much younger, and we decided to go to the Los Angeles Zoo. And one of the fun things as parents is, is reliving some of your childhood memories with your kids. And so I remember as a, as a young, young child going to the Los Angeles Zoo with my parents. Probably one of my earliest memories was at the Los Angeles Zoo. So I wanted to go to uh, the zoo with uh, my girls. And as you can see in the next photo, they got a lot out of the zoo uh, here, uh, just kind of... They, they really loved it, but earlier in the day, they were awake for it, and, and we walked into the zoo, and the one animal that we really wanted to see was a lion. It was, at the time, my daughter Leighton, this was her favorite animal, and so you know how they arrange a zoo. It's the least impressive animals at first, right? It's like the backyard animals, the chickmunks and the squirrels and you, the little lizards and the things you see at your home in your neighborhood anyway, and then gradually they get bigger. So we were walking with the stroller through the zoo, and we, we had been there for a couple hours already, and we were just getting to see some of the bigger, more impressive animals. And as we were rounding the corner from about where maybe the, some of the primates were, some of the chimpanzees and gorillas, we heard something that sent chills down our spine. And it was this line right here. I took this photo. This is the actual line that we saw. And we, we heard it before we ever saw it. And it was loud, and this line was being aggressive. Now, if you've been to the zoo before, you have to have had an experience like I've had many a time. When you go to the zoo, and all the animals are asleep, they're inside. You're like, okay, this is the, what is this? And you look at the nameplate, you can't see an animal, right? But, but this day was different, because we came around the corner, and we saw this, this massive 
menacing line. If you look at it, its, its eyes are two different colors. It's got a really dark eye. I mean, this thing just looked evil. It looked mean and it looked upset. And this line was pacing back and forth and back and forth. And I was excited because we, we, we had come at the right time. We were already headed to the lion's exhibit. We were just rounding the corner to see this line when it started to put on this just show of aggression and dominance. I was really excited for, for my daughter Leighton because this is one of the animals that we were really looking forward to, to seeing. This is her favorite animal. And so I was all excited for Leighton. Well, at the time, uh, because of this show that the line was putting on, a crowd, a small crowd began to gather and everyone started to come around and then the, the crowd grew bigger and bigger. And I'm, I'm looking for my daughter Leighton and I, I can't find her anywhere. And the, the crowd is starting to push up against the railing, and there's a, a little uh, body of water in between the railing, then a body of water, and then uh, the line walking back and forth. And I'm, I'm trying to look for my daughter, Leighton, but the crowd's kind of coming and pressing up against because of this, this show that this line is putting on. And I'm trying to look for Leighton, I can't find her anywhere. And I'm, I'm not concerned for her safety. I knew, she was, I knew she was just right there, but I knew she was not too far away. And as I'm, I'm trying to call for her attention because I want her to squeeze up next to me. I want her to see this. This is not very common. And finally, I spotted a, a little blonde head across the way, kind of kneeling in the opposite direction, uh, just kind of enamored with something. I, I couldn't figure out what it was. And so I kept on calling her. I called her loudly. And she, she turned around. She kind of glanced. And then she went back to right to whatever she's doing. So I was a little bit upset because within just a few moments, uh, the lion went back into its cave. And it was gone. And the crowd began to dissipate. I was a little bummed out about this. I mean, we, we paid for the tickets. We took a day off. We traveled down to the zoo to see something like this. And we, we actually saw something pretty impressive. And I went, I found Leighton, and I, I, her head was turned away from me, her back was turned to me, and I grabbed her arm, and I turned her around, and right when I turned, I was upset, and right when I turned around, she goes, look, Dad, a ladybug. And she found a ladybug, and I'm like, Leighton, we have ladybugs, like, all right, there's, there's a line across the way, and I, I thought that day how close we were. We, we were at the zoo on the right time, and the right day, at the right exhibit, the line was way, and, and yet we... We missed out on the opportunity. Well, tonight in the passage that we just read, and we'll, we'll read through again as we work through this portion of Scripture, we find Jesus and uh, some followers and would-be followers this close to following Jesus. Here they are in the right time, the right place. I mean, they literally have conversations with God in the flesh, with Jesus Christ. And yet they missed out. They missed out on what it meant to be a follower of Christ. God doesn't offer a gold, silver, platinum subscription of followership or discipleship. Discipleship isn't, sometimes we think discipleship, it's the premium subscription to Christianity. Now, when we're called to be his disciple, when we're called to be his follower, we are, it's synonymous. We are called to be his disciples. And here are three encounters that we'll read through tonight that they liked the idea of following Jesus, but when faced with the reality of what it looks like to follow Jesus, they just weren't up for the task. Luke chapter 9 is an interesting chapter because the tone shifts a little bit. Uh, the nature of the discussion and the nature of, of what it means to be a follower of Christ is it's, it's, it's not always easy to process. And, and here we read in verse number 51 that Jesus had set his face to Jerusalem. This is a critical moment in the life and ministry of Jesus because every step he took from here on out was a step closer to the cross. 
And there were moments where crowds were drawn and people were curious and, and, and large crowds pressed against Jesus, whether he was teaching, whether he was healing. But, but, but now it's different. Now his face is set towards Jerusalem. Every step he takes is a step closer to his death. And he uses these opportunities to teach and instruct his disciples what it means to be a follower of his and what it means to take up a cross as he uses that that phrase here in this passage and what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at three encounters here. And the first encounter uh, is in verse number 57, encounter number one. Now the book of Matthew informs us that this encounter is in the region of Galilee. And we read it a moment ago, but let's read it again. Verse number 57, And it came to pass that as we went in the way... A certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee wherever, whithersoever thou goest. So this first encounter, this, this would-be follower of Christ, this first guy, he volunteers. And the book of Matthew tells us that this individual was a scribe. So if you, if you know anything about some of the dynamics between the disciples and the scribes, the scribes were not the biggest fan of Jesus. But here comes a scribe, and this guy volunteers to be a follower of Christ. And Jesus' disciples are nearby, and I've got to wonder what they're thinking when this, this, you know, this guy's on the other team. This guy's opposite of us. This, guy's, this guy is, is opposed to us. And yet he comes to Jesus, and he volunteers to be uh, a follower of Jesus Christ. The book of Matthew, which has this same account, tells us that he addresses Jesus as a, as a teacher or as a rabbi. Uh, back in, in biblical times, there was the, there was the, the, as, as the rabbis and the teachers would teach, they would often teach by walking around. And so if you were going to be a pupil of a rabbi, you would follow the rabbi around, and the rabbi would teach and walk at the same time. And so this man, he volunteers, and he volunteers to follow Jesus, and he says, wherever. And so I would imagine that the disciples get excited. This is a prized convert. This is, this is someone coming to Jesus. This is going to be exciting. This is, this is going to hit the press well when others find out that this scribe comes to Jesus. But then we read Jesus' response in verse number 58. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Now, one of the things I want to point out in this passage is that Jesus is never, he never tries to pull a fast one on anyone, right? He, he explains in, in clear detail what it means to be a follower of him. It's not some gimmicky bait and switch, like this is going to, this is going to be fun and you're going to, you're going to be rich and you're going to be famous and you're never going to have any, any issues. No, that's not how, Jesus didn't try to sell anyone on Christianity, sell anyone to be a follower of his. In fact, in this verse, he, he really, he really heightens the stake and he says, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Why would Jesus respond that way? He said, so this man comes to Jesus and he says, I'll follow you wherever, and Jesus says, let's define wherever. Let's, let's define wherever. And we learn a few things from these encounters. And the first thing that we learn is this, that you can't follow Jesus from your comfort zone. You can't follow Jesus from your comfort zone. Now, every single one of us has a comfort zone, right? We all have things that we're comfortable doing and people that we're comfortable with. Then there's 
things that, and places where we're not comfortable. So we all have a comfortable, and sometimes it's who we're with or what we're doing. And, and we have this, this, this gravitational pull, right? We like to get we, get, we don't like awkward situations. We want to go back to our comfort zone, and we all have a comfort zone. And, and maybe verse number 58, maybe this scribe, maybe he saw a celebrity status. Maybe there's something that was appealing to him. But Jesus, he responds in no uncertain terms, don't be surprised when following me if you find yourself frequently leaving your comfort zone. In fact, many nights, he says, many nights you might be homeless. The son of man, that was Jesus' favorite term for himself, has no place to lay his head. You've all heard this expression before, right? There's no place like home. There's no place like home. Why do we say that? Because our homes are where we are comfortable, right? We, we intentionally make our homes comfortable. Now, what, what do we say? Why do we say there's no place like home? There's a few reasons, I believe. First of all, home is familiar. Have you ever gone to someone's house before and you are trying to find like where the spoons are kept and you go to their kitchen and, and, and it's a friend that you know well enough that this, it, it wouldn't be rude to do this. You just go to try to find a spoon and in your mind where it should be, you open it up and it's the junk drawers. There's no spoons in there. And then you go to the next one and you're like, oh, that's, that's weird that, that they would keep uh, the spatulas in this drawer. That should be where the forks are and the knives are. And it's just it's weird. It's not familiar. But you go to your home, right? And your home, everything's ordered. Everything makes sense. And it's familiar. You don't have to ask around or wonder like where things are kept. It's our homes are comfortable to us because they are familiar to us. Home is familiar. Home is comfortable. If we were to take a survey around this room and I I were to ask around, what do you like your thermostat set at? You would give me different answers and some would like it cooler and some would like it warmer. And and what we do is we set the thermostat to what's comfortable and cost effective to us, right? So it's, we love our homes because they're familiar. We do our best to make our homes comfortable. We like, there's no place like sleeping in our own bed. And we, we work hard to make our homes comfortable. Home is where we have a sense of security and safety. Perhaps you have an alarm system, or perhaps you lock your door at night, or you have a ring doorbell, and there's this sense of safety and security uh, with our homes. And I believe that's why Jesus intentionally hits home here, because I, I believe the point that Jesus is driving here is this. If you choose to follow me, perhaps sometimes you'll find yourself without even a home, but, but here's the point. Perhaps the only home you'll have is me. Let me be your home. The foxes, every fox that you've ever seen has a home. They have a hole to go to. Uh, we live up in the high desert, and we don't have foxes. We have coyotes. In the morning when you drive, sometimes you see the, the coyotes. And it always blows my mind because we don't have any trees. We don't have any shrubbery. It's just desert. But every fox I've ever seen has a hole to go to or a home at night. And, and every bird that you ever see at night, as the sun is seven, setting, you can see, if you watch in the sky, you can see the birds going back to their homes. And Jesus says, if you choose to follow me, you may not have a home in the, the comfortable uh, sense that we're used to. But I believe the application here is that Jesus will be our home. We look at this thought of our homes are what is familiar. And in Jeremiah chapter number nine, we read, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, 
that he understandeth and knoweth me that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things do I delight. Listen, if we're going to glory in anything, this passage is telling us, glory in the fact that we have a familiarity with our Creator, that we can know Him. That's something worth knowing. It's crazy uh, what, what people can, can, can get into and become experts in and know. I, I went this afternoon and I grabbed a cup of coffee. You guys have a lot of great coffee shops around here. And I went to a really nice, fancy coffee shop, and I ordered a cup of coffee, and it was a great cup of coffee. But as I ordered, ordered the cup of coffee, the guy explained to me, like, where, where the coffee bean was, was grown, you know? It's like, this one's Ethiopia. It's going to have a hint of this and this. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. I'm not going to be able to tell the difference, but that's exciting, right? I read the story of a man named Ed uh, Fobert, and Ed Fobert is what's called a cupper in layman's term. And a cupper, a cupper is a coffee taster, and this man's taste buds are actually certified by the state of New York, according to a Forbes article. And Fobert's sense of taste for coffee, even while blindfolded, is so keen that he can take one sip of coffee and tell you, not that it's just, not just that it's from Guatemala, but he can tell you what state it comes from, and what altitude it was grown out, and what mountain. To know something that, and that's kind of, that's, that's amazing to us to hear something like that, so, that someone can know something that well. And we all have hobbies and we all have interests, but let me tell you, for us as believers, the only thing ultimately that really truly matters, and I believe these hobbies and interests, these are okay, right? I believe God has given these things to, for us to enjoy, but not to glory in. If we're going to glory in anything, glory in the fact that we have a relationship with God, that we know Him, let Him be what is familiar to us. So we love our homes because they're familiar. We love our homes because they are comfortable. Jesus said, uh, come unto me all that ye that are labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. We love our homes because of the safety and security. But Proverbs 18 says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and are saved. Here's the point. Jesus is saying, I will be your home. I will be your home. What's the application with this? What are we to do with this? Are we, are we to become homeless? Is that the point of this? That's not the point of this passage. I believe the point of this is to make Jesus our home. Appreciate our homes, appreciate our houses, but become familiar with him. Don't put your safety and security in, in your bank account or what you know or who you know. Put your safety and security in Jesus Christ. Uh, put your, uh, put your, your comfort, your familiarity in Jesus I think for us as believers, it's good to remind ourselves what Peter wrote of in the New Testament. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Listen, sometimes we, we get perturbed at how the world uh, will treat or condescend or look at Christians. Listen, uh, they didn't welcome Jesus. What makes you think they would welcome us as well? And, and we are to be the salt and the light in this earth for sure. But listen, we are strangers and pilgrims as well. For whatever reason, this scribe, he, 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 maybe he viewed Jesus in the terms of the comforts he would gain rather than the sacrifices he would make. But after this verse, he's gone. So that's the first encounter. And what we learn is that you can't follow Jesus from your comfort zone. But now we find a second encounter, encounter number two. In verse number 59, we read, And he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Okay, so the first guy, he volunteers, and, and, and Jesus defines, he says, Lord, I'm going to follow you wherever. Jesus says, let's define wherever, and then, then he's gone. So then there's another guy standing nearby, and Jesus 
recruits this individual. Like Jesus turns to him and says, follow me. Now, he gives this request uh, uh, to, uh, to follow me, and the answer is, let me go and first bury my father. Now, for me, this seems like a completely reasonable request, right? He's, he's just asking Jesus, can I go attend the funeral of my father? It seems, to me, it seems like a valid excuse. You don't have to raise your hand, but I wonder how many of you in here are good at getting out of things. Any of you guys have friends, or you're like, yeah, that's me. I'm really good at getting out of things, you know, uh, committing to something and then getting out of it later. I think our, our world has become really good at getting out of things and getting out of commitments. Uh, I read uh, a couple years ago about Kronos. Kronos tracks uh, the timekeeping for many uh, places of work, and Kronos had tracked uh, that an estimated 6 million employees call in sick the day after the Super Bowl. Uh, so that's, that's estimated what, what happens. It's the highest day out of the year. And what is that? That's people coming up with excuses to get out of something that they didn't want to do. So is that, what, is that what's happening here? Is this guy just giving an excuse? Yeah. Uh, so Jesus puts him on the spot, right? He turns to him and says, you follow me. And he's like, yeah, okay, but first let me go and bury my, my father. So if, if there is a valid excuse to me, from my perspective, this feels like a valid excuse. Like this guy's excuse takes the cake. But how does Jesus respond to them? Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. So what we find here is a, like a proverbial rebuke. Jesus is rebuking. Now remember, Jesus, Jesus converses, Jesus is God, so he sees, first of all, uh, he can discern the thoughts and intents of this man. He can see a bigger, fuller picture than what we even see. But Jesus responds in a way that, I mean, it even seems harsh. And again, as I said from the beginning, Jesus doesn't pull any punches here. He really, he really if anything, he, 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 he clearly cuts out and paints a picture for what it means to be a disciple of him. Can you imagine the shock of his disciples? Like, Jesus isn't sugarcoating anything. Look, listen, let the dead bury their dead. How would that be for, like, an outreach campaign for your church? Like, make tracks and say, hey, let the dead bury their dead. I wonder what, I wonder what the disciples were thinking. Like, oh, oh we got to do damage control. Jesus didn't mean that. Because that, that comes off very harsh. What, what is Jesus saying here? So the first thing we saw is that uh, Jesus is really helping this individual, the first individual, to understand that you can't be a follower of Christ uh, from your comfort zone. Following Christ will often lead us away from our comfort zones. But I think what we see here is that you can't follow Jesus at your convenience. You can't follow me at your convenience. You know, sometimes um, I will make a to-do list. We have anybody in here that likes to make a to-do list, make a to-do list throughout the week? That's usually, I usually do that on Sunday nights. Monday, I start to think of my week, and I start to put together a to-do list, right? And I just start to think that way, and I can't really even go to sleep at night until I have some of those to-dos, and maybe you have a to-do. My wife has a to-do list, but the problem sometimes is that, that some of my wife's to-do lists, to-dos, creep onto my to do is any husbands in here that happens to you as well and so here's what happens and I don't mind do that like we we, we we got married we signed up for that so some of her to do's creep onto my to do's but but the problem and sometimes where we have a little bit of a disagreement is the priority in which those to do's fall like I don't mind knocking out some of the honey do's but sometimes we'll talk because like Ashley I've got I've got other really important things to do and whatever whatever she usually puts on my to-do list. It doesn't matter what I have on. It, it climbs to the top in terms of priority. And, and sometimes what I'll tell Ashley is, I'll, I'll get to this 
when I have a chance. And maybe husbands, you've said that as well. I'm going to do, I'm going to do this. I have, I have every intention of completing this. I see the value of doing this. I'm in 100% agreement with you. This is what we should be doing. We should be fixing this. We should be taking care of this. But I'm going to get to it when I can, when I get a chance. That's really the heart behind this individual. He's, he, he responds to Jesus, I'm going to follow you, but, but there, there's a, some other things that are really, really important here. Jesus simply calls him to follow me. This is not the first time, in fact, we read it even earlier in this passage that, that Jesus calls on his disciples to deny themselves, to take up the cross, and to follow him. And we read of this in Matthew chapter 9, that Jesus passed forth from thence, and he saw a man named Matthew sitting on the receipt of the custom, and he said unto him, follow me. And what did Matthew do? He rose and followed him. Uh, earlier in the book of Matthew, we read of James and John, and Jesus compelled them, follow me. And it says, and straightway they left their nets and followed him, and immediately they left the ship and followed their, uh, and their father and followed him. But in verse number 59, as we've just read, we find a different response. Jesus compels these individuals to follow me, but this, this, this particular individual who's being recruited, he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. There's two words I want to draw your attention to in that phrase, and that is this, but first, but first. We read of it in verse 59 and 61, but first. One commentary referred to this as the death blow of discipleship. When your sincerity is right, but your priorities are wrong. This is all too common, I believe, within the Christian church where our sincerity are right, our love for, for God is true, and we appreciate our church and our church family, but then priorities, what that looks like practically throughout the week is, is all wrong. And here's a man who is, I believe, sincere in, in his willingness to follow, but his priority what is Jesus saying in this instance? And what is our takeaway from all of this? Jesus is saying through this encounter that I'm over everything. I am over all. There's nothing more important than me and my plan for you. Uh, and then he uses this phrase, which we read a moment ago, let the dead bury their dead. Wow, that, that, that seems a little, little harsh. Burying the dead, especially in this culture for, uh, for the Jewish culture, was not just an act of kindness and respect, but it was, it was also an act of piety and religion. There were special instructions in the Torah regarding the burial of a family member. It had to be done with us in a certain amount of time. According to the Torah as well, Jews were excused from reciting the Shema. The Shema is the traditional evening and morning prayer. And, and, and all of that, all of that excuse was made so that way you could tend to this matter of burying the dead. This was really important. And here's what's interesting. Only one person could excuse you from, from, this, from this responsibility, and that was the high priest. And I really believe that Jesus saying, let the dead bury the dead, I believe what Jesus was instructing here is saying, he's saying, I'm over all. I'm over that. I'm over everything. I'm higher than that. I'm higher than the high priest. I'm telling you what I'm calling you to do. See, this was an urgent twofold message. It wasn't just let the dead bury their dead. He, he, it was for good reason. You finished the rest of this verse, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. We find this throughout Jesus' ministry. There's this urgency, uh, and, and, and Jesus was urgent in his message. And here's a few verses I pulled. Jesus said at one point in Luke 2, I must be about my father's business. Uh, in, in Luke 4, I must preach the kingdom of God. Luke number 9, the Son of Man must suffer many things. Today I must abide at thy house. In John chapter 9, I must work the works of him, him that sent me while it is day. 
And so, and so what, what Jesus is doing is he's helping this individual to understand the urgency of, of, of the call to discipleship and how it's a call over every aspect of her life. And it's not something to be a follower of Christ. It's not just something when we get a chance or at our convenience. It's in a call, an immediate call. A one preacher said, when God calls you, there is an RSVP, and that RSVP is today. There's another verse in Luke chapter number 14, verse number 26, and it says this, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sister, yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. That's another tough verse. That would be a great verse to sign on your card at like Mother's Day or something, right? <laughs> that's, that's kind of one of those verses. Even sometimes as, as believers, someone might say, what do, you, what do you do with that verse? If any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother and his, child, his, his wife and his children and brethren, yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. What's the point here? Is God against family? Okay, pause real quick. Who created family? God. So God's not against family. God created family. There's instruction in Scripture in the Old and the New Testament about responsibilities to family. What God is doing here is, and what Jesus is doing here is making an incredibly emphatic point that He is over all. This is a matter of priority. Uh, some have speculated that maybe this individual, uh, maybe the father wasn't even dead yet, and maybe there was a moment where he's waiting perhaps for an inheritance, or maybe he's about to die. And it really doesn't matter the reason why. There was a pause, there was a hesitation, there was a, there was a misplaced priority. Someone once said that the tragedy of life is not that it ends too soon, but that we wait too long to begin living it. I think similarly, the tragedy of the Christian life is not that we don't have enough time, but that we're not being faithful with the time that God has already given to us. And so we find this, this second encounter, this, this man who is recruited by Jesus, and he says, I'm going to follow you, but first let me go do this. And even when this is a good thing, even when this is a respectable thing, if it's something that's taking us away from the urgent thing, what God is calling us to do at that moment, at that time, then there's a misplaced priority because we can't follow Christ at our convenience. But then I see this third encounter in verse number 61. It says this, And another said, Lord, I will follow thee. So this guy, like the first, he, he volunteers. And then he said, But let me first. There's those words again, but first. But let me first go bid them farewell, which are at my house. Verse number 62, and Jesus said, no man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. So here's the three thoughts tonight. Number one, you can't follow me from your convenience. You can't follow me from your comfort zone. You can't follow me at your convenience when you get a chance. And you can't, be a, you can't follow Christ as he would want us to follow him without complete surrender. So here's what happens. This man, he says, I'm going to follow you, but let me first go bid farewell. That's an interesting word. When you look at that word farewell, let me go tell my family I'm going to be okay. I always like to think of these passages uh, and, and, and set aside our modern understanding of what it means to leave and depart, depart from family. And, and if you can imagine, back in these days, there's no social media, there's no phone that you can pick up to call. And so leaving a family, this was, this was a bit of a commitment, right? And, and, and he says, let me go and first bid them farewell, uh, uh, and let me, let me go tell them I'm going to be okay. And that's an interesting word, that word farewell. It basically means I'm, I'm going to be okay. 
I remember uh, when I was a teenager going to teen camp, and I always go tell my mom, uh, I'm going to be okay, or if I'm going on a mission trip, everything's going to be okay. But can we really guarantee that? Can we really guarantee to a loved one that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fare well in every situation? We really can't make that promise. And so here's this individual. He says, I'm going to follow you, but first let me go and bid farewell which them, uh, which are at my, my home, at my house. And perhaps he had family or our, comf- our company. And he said, Jesus, Jesus, I- I'm going to be right with you. I'll be there in a minute. Let me go tell everyone that I'm going to go follow you and that I'm going to be okay. They've heard of this Jesus guy. They might be alarmed. Let me just go calm their nerves, let them know everything's going to be a-okay. I think what Jesus is helping this this individual and helping us understand that we can't make that promise. To follow Christ means to take up our cross. There will be sacrifice. There will be suffering. You can read through the accounts of the early church. By the way, we, have, we are so blessed. We, have, we experience such a cushy Christianity compared to uh, historical Christianity. Even in certain places in the world, we are, we are blessed beyond measure. But we're not going to always be able to guarantee that everything's just going to be A-OK. There will be difficulties in follow, following Christ. There will be, even at your workplace. I, I would imagine that some of you have experienced ridicule, maybe shame, or maybe even, I know in certain uh, families, even uh, ab- abandonment for someone that's gone and follow, been, been a follower of Jesus. So this individual says, I'm going to go and bid them farewell for them that are at my house. And how does Jesus respond to that? He says, and no man having his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. The Bible says in James chapter number one, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You see, you can't be truly, you can't be a, a disciple, can't be a fully committed follower of Christ without surrendering your will to his. Now, now pause and understand, please, that there are moments we, 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 we have the, the Spirit. The Bible tells us in the book of Galatians we've been given uh, the Spirit of Christ. We, 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 uh, but there's also the flesh, and there's a war. These two are contrary one to another, so they cannot do the things that you would. And so, of course, there is difficulty. There are moments where there, none of us is, is the perfect, picture-perfect disciple of Christ at any time, right? I think all of us have moments of, of faltering or maybe questioning something or not understanding something or, or not prioritizing something right. Uh, but generally what we understand from this passage is that we can't be a follower of Christ and then just do everything that we want to do. That's not what a committed follower of Christ looks like. And Jesus here, I believe, is teaching us that, listen, I can't guarantee that you're going to be okay in the way that you think you're going to be okay. Because no man, having put his hand to the plow, this is, okay, a plow, this is, we don't talk this way, right? But this is, let's, let's understand it in our vernacular. Uh, no man who puts his hands on the steering wheel and turns around and looks that way is fit to be uh, driving a car, right? Why? Because your attention determines your direction. You can't go forward for God. You can't go forward in following him and true discipleship while looking back. This is a, a farming uh, analogy here. You can't have your hand to the plow and plow straight lines while looking back. No one that does that is fit for the kingdom of the God. 
I, was, I, I heard a story one time about the fable of Knights of the Templar. And the Knights of the Templar, back in the times of the crusade, before they would go into battle, they would be baptized before battle. And they would be baptized in their, in, in their armory. And they would go, before they go into battle, they would go, and as a, as a sign of commitment to, to God, they would be baptized, and they would, they would be fully immersed in their armor, except for right before they were immersed, right before they were baptized, they would plunge the sword above water. And the idea and the symbolism and the reason they did that is they were committing themselves as a warrior for God in battle in every area except the sword. And the idea is, God, you can have everything except for this sword. What happens with the sword between me and my opponent in battle is between me and my opponent. You can have everything but the sword. And listen, uh, we, don't, we don't hold up swords, but I mean, we, we hold up cell phones. We hold up relationships. We do the same thing. God, you can have any aspect, but, but don't take my kids to a mission field. Uh, don't, uh, don't take this promotion from me. Don't take this relationship from me. You can have everything. And, and see, here's the point. That's not complete surrender. Anytime we hold or plunge something, even, even something that we love, even something that's good, that's an idol in our life. And so you can't follow Christ. You can't be a fully committed follower of him without surrender. Now, here, here's the problem that I see with this passage here, and we're done. In these three individuals, they're too much like us. They're too much like me. We underestimate the cost, and we overestimate our ability. And uh, one commentary I read said this is, a, this is a, a passage that searches the soul of every Christian. It's kind of heavier passage, right? It's a, it's a thought-provoking passage because, listen, it's easy to put on a, on a social media biography or tell someone or a bumper sticker that I'm a follower of Christ, but, but are we really ready to make the sacrifices? Are we ready to leave our comfort zone? Maybe that's sharing the gospel with someone that you work with. Uh, I don't know what that looks like for you, but are you willing to make that sacrifice? What about a matter of priorities, and maybe you've got a lot of good things going on, uh, but, but, but your, your service to Christ, uh, your love for him has kind of taken a back burner. Here's what's, here's what's uh, troubling about this passage it, is it looks too much like us. It looks too much like me. In John chapter number six, there's a, there's a sad passage, and we read it in John six, verse number 66. It says, from that time, many of his disciples, so this is many of his Jesus' disciples, went back and walked no more with him. Then Jesus said to the twelve, will you also go away? That's kind of a sad passage, right? So you, you have these moments, I think of the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, that, that first entry, there's, there's a lot of praise, there's a lot of uh, fanfare and applaud, everyone liked the idea of a king that would establish a, an earthly kingdom, but now those crowds have dissipated and they're gone. And many who were following Jesus turned their backs to never follow again. And Jesus turns to his disciples with this convicting question, will ye also go away? Now, Peter is going to respond to this question. If you know anything about Peter, right, he sometimes put his foot in his mouth, right? Like Peter, Peter would say things that I'm sure I would say, right? where, you, where you say them in an instant, like, oh, man, why did I, I say that? So Peter... He had some moments, right, where he put his foot in his mouth and he said something that was maybe not the best response. But here, Peter, he nailed it. He got it right. So Jesus turns to his disciples after uh, others had left, and he turns to his, his core disciples and he says, are you also going to go away? And listen to how Peter responds. 
And Peter answered and said to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And that's what it looks like to be a follower of Christ, where Jesus turns to Peter and says, are you guys going to go away too? And Peter's like, Jesus, this is a no-brainer. Like, where else are we going to go? There's no job opportunity that looks better than you. There's no relationship that's more appealing to you. There's no amount of comfort or pleasure. You fill in the blank, Jesus. Everything else pales in comparison to you. Where else, where we go? And what a what a, an example for us as believers to keep in perspective. Uh, life is short. Eternity is forever. What really matters is what Jesus has called us to do and where he has called us to be. Let's be that light. Let's be that example for others. And let's, let's, let's understand that what Jesus allows us to do, to enter into this partnership with him, into minister, to be ministers of the gospel, there's nothing better than that. Earlier on in this passage, I'll read this, th- these couple verses and we'll be done. Verse number 23, if you want to look there, it says, And he said unto them, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And here's the clincher, verses 24 and 25. For whosoever will lose his life, uh, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sakes, the same shall save it. And here's the great question. For what is a man advantage if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be a castaway? Doesn't that put everything into perspective? Listen, we can get everything that, 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 that we've wanted, everything that we desired. We can, we can have all the things and relationships. But if, we, if we're not living out our purpose, if we, if we, if we, what is it advantage if we gain the whole world and lose our soul? We sometimes see that in celebrities where, where they have everything right? They have everything you could ever want, and yet they're missing what really matters. As believers, as recipients of the gospel, as followers of Christ, as his disciples, we have so much. The Bible tells us that we have this earthen treasure. Let's cherish that treasure. Let's keep that priority in that treasure, understanding what it is that we've been given to, what it is that we have in our possession. And let's not lose perspective. What does it mean to be a follower of his? It means that we're willing to leave our comfort zone, that we're willing to make whatever he calls us to do, we're willing to make that a priority in our lives. And we're willing to fully submit or we're not uh, surrender. We're not going to look back. We are, we are fully committed and surrender. That's the picture painted in Scripture tonight of what it means to be a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.